really appreciate that. Uh, thank you for having us and for being here yourselves this morning. We appreciate that as well. Um, let's read together uh, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful this morning for the privilege to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the many thoughts from your words, prayer and song that brought us back and bring us back to the center, uh, to our center, the uh, finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. We're um, grateful for our reconciliation to you. We're grateful for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, for eternal life. Father, now uh, as we think about your word, we're uh, grateful for the Holy Scriptures, your uh, inspired word that would seek to give us help, encouragement, guidance, peace, all of these wonderful truths. So we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, last week, we thought about um, some of the great uh, trilogies of Scripture. I think it's good to uh, be reminded of that this morning, that uh, as we sing about the universe, that uh, God's universe has his triunity stamped upon it. Uh, we mentioned um, last week Nathan Wood's book written in, I think, 1933, uh, entitled The Secret of the Universe. And that's his point, using uh, science to show that, that the Trinity of God is stamped in the universe. I think he breaks it down. Uh, all of the universe, everything we can know or do know, uh, or possible to know, is broken up into uh, space, matter, and time. Uh, he goes on to show that uh, those three, space, is um, imprinted with three, length, breadth, width. It's volume. It's how it's all discovered. Length, breadth, width. Um, matter. Energy, motion, phenomena. Always one of those three. Uh, time, past, present, future. Uh, he says it's in all of creation. Uh, it's in all of the Word of God. I mean, we got there last week thinking about um, Psalm 23, right? We um, uh, we thought about uh, this is a one of the great trilogies of Scripture, right? That Psalm 23 is in the center of um, three psalms. It's Psalm 22, 
Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Uh, we uh, went to the New Testament to prove that concept as we thought about the Lord. Uh, this is the word Jehovah, the Lord. Um, uh, a term, a name uh, connected with the Lord used nearly 7,000 times in the Old Testament. But as we think of the word shepherd, we had that that's only three times in the New Testament. And that's, um, as we think about that, that's a pretty remarkable, um, uh, pretty remarkable thought concerning the accuracy of Scripture. 7,000 times or nearly 7,000 times the word Jehovah, in the Old Testament, yet uh, the title, the Lord Jesus is the shepherd, only three times in the New Testament. So we had that in John 10, that's the first mention. Uh, John 10, that's the first mention. The Lord Jesus declares he's the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. We saw how that corresponds to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, the very words of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And so you have, uh, you can read them sometimes, Bible teachers, uh, Bible scholars who will show you um, maybe all seven sayings of the Lord Jesus from the cross in Psalm 22. You say, well, that's, that's remarkable. The first one, my God... My God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's his first saying, and that's the first verse. Uh, the last verse is Psalm 22, that he has done this. Well, they say that easily corresponds to it is finished. And so they have that. That's Psalm 22. The Lord Jesus is the good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. Uh, then we have uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, the Lord Jesus as the great shepherd. And that's connected with sanctification, this ongoing ministry of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and then uh, just over a couple of pages from Hebrews chapter 13, 1 Peter chapter 5, the Lord Jesus as the chief shepherd coming again, right? And so, uh, um, uh, you know, if we think uh, so-called theological terms, you know, these words that the uh, great apostle Paul used, uh, Psalm 22 connected with our justification, Right. Um, therefore, having been, he says in Romans chapter five, therefore, having been justified by faith. Right. That's um, Psalm 22. Uh, sanctification. That's the next great section of Romans, sort of five onward. Uh, that's present tense. That connects with the Lord Jesus in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And then on a little bit further, uh, maybe around chapter eight, we have glorification. You know, as we were reminded this morning, uh, what we're going to be, you know, that's connected with Psalm 24. Uh, you know, we were reminded this morning of, um, of um, another great trilogy, the uh, Lord Jesus. Uh, it was referred to in the Lord's Supper. Uh, you know, the Lord Jesus, Paul says, and Paul was, a, as we say, a great theologian, a man with an incredible mind. This is a, his emphasis in the Lord Jesus. Uh, that he knew no sin. That's connected with the mind of the Lord Jesus. That Paul spends lots of time talking about that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So in his mind, he knew no sin. Uh, if we think about who's the most loving New Testament writer, well, we always hear that attributed to John. And do you remember John said, uh, in, in him, in his heart, in him uh, was no sin. Right. And uh, so we think of a man of action. 
Well, that's Peter, right? Peter is a man of action. What did Peter say about the Lord Jesus? He did know sin, another great trilogy. And so uh, as we think of Psalm 23, uh, we want to, uh, even in that, connected to that thinking, we want to be reminded that this is, uh, this is connected with sanctification, right? It's not justification, like as in Psalm 22, or as the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd. It's not glorification. Uh, it's that present tense, right? Right now, sanctification. When I think of justification, what's my part in that? To well, really nothing. I mean, surely I'm not, I'm not boasting in the fact that I received the free gift of salvation. What did it cost me to be justified? Uh, well, it cost him everything, right? cost the Lord Jesus everything to make justification for me available. And so uh, I, I, I can't imagine that, that I would boast in my justification. It's all on him. Uh, as we think about glorification, you know, again, we were reminded of that this morning. As we think about glorification, that also is on him. Uh you know, this is, um, you know, sometimes the mistake that, that is made in, in preaching, you know, as we try to uh, present the Lord Jesus Christ as a compassionate heart. Uh, you know, we, we quote this verse from Hebrews and, and, and go to, to great lengths to show how the Lord Jesus is like us. And, and somehow this makes him more human. Hey, let's be reminded the Lord Jesus Christ isn't like us. He isn't anything like us. He's totally unique. He is one of a kind. And the hope, listen, the hope of the believer is not that he is like us, but that we will be like him. When we see him, will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And so as even as we think of sanctification, Psalm 23, which is, which is um, most of what Scripture is about. Sir Robert Anderson points out that as we think of justification and, and think of Israel as an example, uh, he said, that's Exodus 12. That's Exodus 12. The blood applied. God delivered them by blood, by power. That's justification. He said, when you turn the page from that little section of Scripture, he said, the rest is how God sanctified his people, how he set them apart, how he got Israel, uh, uh, Egypt, out of Israel's heart in Justification, he by power took them out of Egypt. But sanctification was getting Egypt out of them. Because you remember, they had this. You, know, you have these strange stories uh, of the Israelites saying, oh, how we wish we were back in Egypt, where we stood around the 
flesh pots and ate meat to the full. You say, really? Was that what it was like for them? The guy, I read the, the, the first account, and it doesn't appear like that's what it was like for them. And so sanctification is this idea that, that, that the world needs to be removed from our hearts. But even as we think about that, even as we think about this concept of sanctification, as Bill McDonald says, that, that point in which I cooperate with the Lord, right? It's not justification. He does all of that. It's not glorification. He's going to take, take care of that. This, this middle part, this large middle part, life here and now, uh, Bill McDonald says it's that, that, that part of my Christian life where I cooperate with him. I think in his... Um, his book, Be Holy, uh, Bill McDonald says something like this. I, I say no a thousand times a week to things. That's sanctification. As we think of that great principle, let's be reminded that even sanctification, the main part of it, the main part of it is what he has already done. The fact that I even have the potential to live a holy life is because he has given his own very life to live within me. It's not in the flesh. And so even as we think of this passage, uh, Psalm 23, we notice that, yes, we're in it. We've had some thinking on sheep. Right? We've had some thinking on sheep, and so we're in the passage, but only as we're in Christ. You notice he's the emphasis of Psalm 23. It's all about him. Right? I mean, that's logical, right? I mean, uh, you know, we, we had um, in week two, I shall not want. Is that a practical truth or a positional truth? Is that um, my standing or my state? Right? We see this distinction, right? There's a such thing as a positional truth, right? We had some reading on that this morning, a positional truth, and then there's our practice. Uh, My standing, sometimes they say it, I mean, they like to have words that you know, the Bible preachers like to have words that start the same. Somehow that helps. Like Maybe it does. Does it help? No? Sometimes. You know, if you get, uh, you know, they have, I'm going to give you nine Ps today. I'm like, well, okay, whoa, that may work. I can remember two or three of them. But, uh, you know, so uh, position, practice. That makes sense. What I am in Christ. Uh, my standing what I am in Christ. And we can think of examples of that in the New Testament, right? We can think of all these uh, great verses that tell us of what our position is. But, as again, we were reminded this morning, it doesn't always match my practice. You know, my standing doesn't always match my state. And so as I read through um, Psalm 23, it says, I shall not want. I would suggest that first that's a positional truth, right? 
it's not always my practice. Uh, I want lots of things, actually. Uh, you know, and sometimes my wife says, is it a want or a need? I'm like, no, it's a need. And I really want it. And I know that, honestly, that's not true. I mean, I've met lots of little kids, and I hear them in the store, Mommy, I need this. Daddy, I need this. And so I say, it's first, it's first a positional truth. Uh, he makes me to lie down. That's a first a positional truth, because not always is that what my life looks like. Uh, he leads me. Again, positional, not practice. Who would ever, who would ever say they always go where the Lord Jesus leads? You say, well, none of us say that. And if a person would say, well, hey, they're probably way off base. They're probably um, carnal. And, and so it's first positional. We say, is that how it should be? Well, that's how the Apostle Paul worked through Scripture. That was always the divine order. You know, in a book of Ephesians, and it's a, it's a good one because uh, it's, first of all, six chapters and, and divides perfectly in the middle. One, two, three, and then four, five, six. And so as some have said, what does the Lord ask us to do in the first three chapters? Nothing. Right? It's everything he's done for us. What we are positionally. And so the Apostle Paul, as he would teach our position in Christ, he believed that was so encouraging that that would make us live different. And so that's his um, his his exhortation in Ephesians 4. I beseech you therefore, knowing all these things, all these things I beseech you therefore that you walk worthy of your vocation. This should be so encouraging that it would um, change the way you live, change the way I live. Uh, you know, even the word Jehovah, which we say 6,800 times, whatever it is, um, is connected with trilogy, three. Uh, the scholars tell us that uh, it's a word that's made up, right, to describe the person, the Lord. Uh, and even it itself is um, made up of three words connected with time. Uh, the first part time in the past, the middle, the OV, I think, with time in the present. And then lastly, the last part connected with the future, the eternal future. Uh, it would make sense. I mean, uh, I think they say William Tyndale was the first to use it. And so he was thinking of um, how Jehovah, or the Lord, God, this word that didn't have any vowels, that how uh, this uh, described the Lord in his uh, his eternal being, 
eternally pre, eternally present, eternally future. So you say, well, uh, if that's true, and Thomas Newberry would agree with this concept or seem to agree with this, uh, that's the teaching of the Apostle John. When he thought about the Lord, he thought about him, uh, he who is, present tense, he who was, he who is to come. And so this concept of thinking of um, these great themes, these great subjects, this uh, changes us. It helps us as we move forward to think about the Lord. Again, this is uh, the main part of sanctification, who he is, his life. It's his life that's lived through us. That's the main part of sanctification. Uh, The section we have this morning, uh, he leads me beside the still waters, uh, is connected with some um, guidance. Say now he has and he wants to, positionally he's done this, he's given us his word, he's given us his spirit, he's given us his life to live within. And so this should guide and direct us. Again, we don't always do that, but that doesn't mean we don't want to. Trust in our quiet moment, in our honesty. We get before the Lord, we say we at least want to want that. I think F.B. Meyer used to pray, Lord, make me willing to be willing. I'm like, yeah, I, I can relate to that. Lord, make me willing to be willing to follow. Uh, we thought about um, uh, sheep. Uh, we've been thinking about sheep all the way along and and certainly one of the, um, you know, the intellectual advantages of sheep is their ability to follow. They do follow one another. Uh, now, that's a good thing, and uh, sometimes that's a, a bad thing. Right? We've seen where uh, it's been of benefit, and we've seen the opposite. Uh, thus, the Apostle Paul, he understood this, and his exhortation to the people of God was, you remember this, Uh, Follow me as I follow Christ. And uh, so that's a a real exhortation. Uh, You know, we have, as the people of God, people watching us, people looking at us. And so the exhortation of the psalmist, practically speaking, to allow uh, the Lord Jesus to uh, guide us, to lead us. Uh, you know, some of the, you know, we've thought of some of the basic um, principles of interpretation. You know, in the Gospels, it's good to be reminded, uh, as we think about this uh, great principle, it's good to be reminded of the first words that the Apostle Peter recorded in the Gospels. You know what the first words Peter were? I mean, I think it's worth looking up here. Let's turn to um, uh, Matthew 4. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 18. 
And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. So the first words recorded in the New Testament to Peter were, follow me. What about the last words in the Gospels to Peter? John chapter 20, or sorry, 21. This is the last conversation recorded in the Gospels to Peter. Verse 20 says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. First, last. The importance of following. The Lord is leading. He does lead. Uh, We need to follow. Uh, Peter needed the exhortation, the urge, the encouragement. We need that to follow the Lord. This is obedience. This is what it looks like. This is what the victorious Christian life looks like, is obedience to the Lord following him. Uh, the psalmist says he leads beside still waters. That's where he guides. And so I guess sometimes we have this uh, perception uh, that this is not uh, tragedy or trial or testing. You say, but that's a be a contrary view to Scripture. You know, as we already thought about um, the children of Israel, and um, them as the example, right? Them as the example of um, Christian living. You know what the victorious Christian life looks like. Uh, we think of still waters. Hey, although it's connected with peace and uh, contentment, that doesn't mean that it's easy. And so the path that the Lord leads us on uh, is not always smooth. So, you know, we can turn back and we should. Uh, to Exodus. Chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. Uh, the context of chapter 15 is this very short period of time. Not months, not weeks, days. That's all it was. They've been, as we already uh, were reminded, Israel has been delivered by blood out of Egypt. Then, Uh, The New Testament teaches us that the Red Sea was um, them delivered by power. So delivered by blood and delivered by power. 
you know, again, Bill McDonald points out in his little book, The Wonders of God, he said, when we picture, you know, the Red Sea crossing, he says, I don't know what you think about it in your mind, what it looks like. But he said for conservatively 3 million people, right? It was probably 4 million, but 3 million. We're over uh, nearly 700,000 soldiers in that host. So based on that number, they say it's probably 4 million, but a conservative number is 3 million. Plus livestock. Uh, plus all the wealth of Egypt. He said for them... In one night to cross through the Red Sea, they would have come through 5,000 abreast. I think, wow, that must have been something. How long do you think that could keep you going, spiritually speaking? Years? A lifetime? Three days? That's what it was for them, three days. And we say, whew, sure glad we're not like those people. <laughs> well, you remember, that's actually what Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is getting to. Is he recounts the history of Israel. He says, um, hey, if you think you're different, uh, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. The challenges that they had are the challenges that we have. And so the attitude is... Um, Often, well, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? And so that was Israel's experience. And so that's the context. It says in verse 20, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness, found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara, and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. When he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. You know, Psalm 23, verse 2 is about eating, drinking. Uh, green pastures connected with eating, still waters connected with drinking. Uh, hey, this is an overarching theme of Scripture. Actually, you know, we often read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and think about um, breaking breads. You know, this concept, this wonderful principle, this truth of remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing that is the 
center to which we come back to. How does chapter 11 connect to chapter 10? Well, it's actually all about eating and drinking. More than a dozen times, eat, drink, eat, drink, eat, drink. And then chapter 11 ends with, so whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So that's sort of the take-home point. And so it's no wonder that it's here in Psalm 23, verse 2. It's a biblical principle. It's actually foundational. And so we see that the Lord used it to test his people, right, to, to prove, right, to prove, to approve, but to prove what was in them. You say, it seems like a, such a little or a simple thing. You say, well, actually, that's what we're tested in. You think of, um, uh, you think of uh, rewards in heaven. Hey, it's going to be in the, you remember, it's going to be in the little things. And so uh, you remember the Lord said that if you can be faithful in the little things, that's the kind of Christians who can be given big things to do. And, and so we read in uh, this verse here, uh, he leads me beside the still waters. We think of how we're tested in these situations and their trials often. It was a trial for Israel. And so what was the secret victory? Well, it was the cross pictured in the tree. Um, you know, it's sometimes interesting to go through and, and um, you know, look at words of Scripture. And just by, as we've already emphasized, by repetition, you know, in the first three chapters, Genesis, hey, a tree is mentioned plenty of times. Well, there's trees in the first three chapters. There's trees in the end of the book. Tree is important. You know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil connected with sin, the tree of life. Tree for food. A tree here connected with the water. Uh, it's not a stretch. Say that this is the cross, the Lord Jesus, that Moses is thinking about by the Spirit of God. Uh, you know, the same word is used in the book of Esther nine times. Do you know what it's translated in the book of Esther? All nine times? Do you guess? You think about the book, think about the story. Well, I'll give you a hint. It's connected with Haman. It's gallows, the word for gallows. That's what it's translated. Nine times the word for tree that we have here is translated gallows. Hey, that's, that's a different concept. Is the cross connected with um, sanctification? Say, well, actually, it's the key to sanctification. Uh, his work for us, right? His work for us. But you know, the Apostle Paul points out that that's the secret to living a Christian life. Is that crucified life connected with death? That life um, 
lived through me. His life lived through me. Dead to self. Uh, that's how we can, uh, as we think about these things, that's how we can um, have no want. We can have that contentment. You know, Christian contentment is connected with godliness, acting like him. As we think about um, uh, back in Psalm 23, as we think about uh, he making me to lie down in green pastures, we saw last week, this is, this is connected with uh, his word. You know that the uh, victorious Christian life is, is uh, connected with reading the word of God. We could name uh, countless examples of great men and women of the faith in the past who were students of the Word of God. You could even think of U.S. presidents who saw the value of the Word of God. Um, the second half of verse 2 leads me beside still waters. Say, well, uh, certainly connected with testing. And so we say we could see that connected with the Word of God, that the Word of God should should prove my heart, should test my thinking, allow me to be honest and see the things that need to change in my life. Now, this is what Paul points out connected with worship in Romans chapter 12, that the Word of God is what transforms my thinking. And so, hey, as we close... And think about these things. Hey, how are you coming with the challenge to memorize Psalm 23? Is everybody done already? Well, we certainly see the value of the Word of God at trust. And so um, if anything could come out of it, it would be something, as we've already been reminded, to memorize Psalm 23 and to memorize the Word of God. See the value of it. Hey, the psalmist saw the value knowing the Lord through his word. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we're I'm grateful for uh, living in a place that allows us to um, publicly, in freedom, read your word. Father, as we think about that, we're reminded of many places in the world where what we're doing would be illegal. And yet at the same time, we are reminded of those places that in many ways it would appear that spiritually speaking, they may very well be doing better than us. And so we pray that your words by your spirit would convict us and would a change of the way we live. That as we reflect on the person and work of the Lord Jesus, that somehow this would cause us to live holy, set-apart lives for you, that we could be useful, that we could be a blessing to those around us, that we could be a help to our friends and to our neighbors and to our co-workers. Father, we just um, pray today as we go to um, see some 
your children obedient to your word. Pray that we might see you go before and do great things on their behalf and on ours on behalf of those who may watch, listen. Bless us today, we pray in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.